Two Hearts, a new new podcast. My name is CJ. And I'm James, and this is the only podcast that knows sometimes a duffel coat is just a duffel coat. Every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode of the 2005 Doctor Who revival, and this week we are cracking out the tissues and holing up in the nearest church as we look at the very emotional episode 8, Father's Day. But before we dive into that, how have you been this week? I've been good. Um... We, as I said last week, we're going back to work, so I'm leaving the house on a regular basis, which has been interesting. Things are slowly, it feels like things are slowly coming back to life, but I'm just like cautious about whether we're being a bit too hasty, which everyone in the world is as well. So yeah, how about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same uh, same as always. I did finish my quest to Platinum Bloodborne, so that has been um, perhaps the most exciting thing I've accomplished over the past seven days. Um, and that's pretty much about it. Congratulations, by the way. Um, your Bloodborne journey has been thrilling to witness. Yes, it has been, listeners, it has been months of me just sporadically telling people about how great Bloodborne is. So I think everybody in my life is going to be happy that I'm done with it. I can, I can put it up back on the shelf and move on. But will anything compare to Bloodborne? Well, that's the problem. I've tried playing several things since and nothing is Bloodborne. I am sorry for your loss. I really am. And this ties in nicely with this episode, which is also about loss. It is, it is. Before we get to that, though, this is normally where we would tell you folks about any Doctor Who news that's been happening this week, but it is it's pretty sparse out there. Yeah, there isn't a lot out there in terms of Doctor Who news these days. Obviously, the rewatches of old episodes are still going on with the uh, lockdowns happening around the globe. And I believe the next one coming up from our perspective recording this episode is New Earth and Gridlock as a two-parter, which I'm looking forward to because Gridlock is one of my absolute all-time favorites, especially one of my favorite RTD scripts. Um, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to watch along for that one. But yeah, I can't, there's not much else going on. I guess we're all just hanging tight. So without further ado, let's get down to business and let's have a chat about Father's Day. Your wish is my command, but be careful what you wish for. The day my father died. What would be your grim and stormy? It's just an ordinary day. Oh God, this is it. He can't die on his own. Can I try again? Oh God, this is it. Rose, no! So, Father's Day is episode eight of series one of the Doctor Who revival. It was written by Paul Cornell, one of only two scripts that he ever wrote for televised Doctor Who, um, and both of which are bona fide classics. So good one, Paul. Um, And it was also directed by Joe Ahern, the standout director, I believe, from this particular season. Um, So we we know we're in for a good one here. Let's turn to IMDb for their altogether fantastic reviews, (laughs) synopses, sorry, so far. This one is very, very sparse. Rose asked the doctor to take her to 1987 on the day her father was killed. Could have used a bit more information. What do you think? Yeah, look, that is certainly the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly the setup. <laughs> no, but there's obviously much, much more at play here with this episode. So Father's Day is one of those exceptionally emotional episodes. And it starts off with a very emotionally charged request from Rose to take her. She asked the doctor to take her to 1987 to the day her father died. And he acquiesces and says yes and so 
they go to the scene of her father's death. After she first tries to comfort her father and can't do it, the second time they go back, already creating a weak point in time, Rose runs out in front of her past self, saves her father, and completely and utterly bucks the established order of events. This act ruptures time and allows the Reapers entry into our universe. And the Reapers are giant bat-like aliens that live in the vortex and feed on everything and anyone, basically. And as the doctor puts it, they're here to sterilize the wound by consuming everything in sight. So, you know, some stakes. As people start disappearing, uh, Rose and her dad and the doctor all find themselves holding up in a church as an attempt to stave off the reapers, but nothing can put them off for much longer. And even though the doctor has a plan to stop them uh, by bringing his TARDIS back into the church, it ultimately fails because Rose touches her baby self, thus creating a paradox, thus making the reapers stronger. Meanwhile, Pete has started to realize that not only is Rose his grown up daughter, but that the reason she's here is because this is the day he was supposed to die. And so after the doctor is killed, he does the only thing that he can do in this situation and steps in front of the car that was supposed to kill him, putting time back on track and bringing everyone back to life, which is a surprisingly upbeat ending. Everyone lives except for Pete, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, Father's Day is is a... I'm not, I, look, it's not a surprisingly emotional episode because if you're going to deal with something like the death of a parent through the lens of time travel, of course it's going to get it's going to get a bit hairy and a bit dark. Uh, but I was, I was surprised at how, uh, how effective this episode could be. So before we get into details and characterization and all that fun stuff that we love to pull apart in a general sense, how did you feel about father's day? Very positive. Um, it still holds up for me to this day, wonky aspects aside, and we know we're going to get into that in our discussion of the episode. It's still a hundred percent for me hits it out of the park. It is an exceptional Rose episode. Billy Piper gives such a wonderfully emotive performance here. Chris Rackleston is great as per usual. It's got some fantastic writing, surprisingly funny as well. I was not, I was not aware or expecting how much I was going to actually laugh during this episode. Yeah. Gosh, it's just an all round classic. What about you? Yeah, I am. It's a strange one. And, and look, some behind the scenes information for you listeners. We've had several conversations over the past 24 hours about how we were going to talk about Father's Day, because my reaction to it was this kind of weird double-edged sword of, I, I really quite like the episode. Um, I had a good cry multiple times throughout. Like it, it truly did affect me in a profound way. Um, but it unfortunately also for me kind of helped me clarify some of the problems that I was having across this season with the characterization around Rose. And so I don't want to hold the fail, well, what I perceive to be the failings of the season at large against this episode. It's just, it, it was just a really unfortunate coincidence that it took an incredible piece of television to sort of show me what I, what I'd been missing from, from episodes before it. But in a vacuum, I think Father's Day is a mostly very successful character study of, of Rose. Like you said, Billy Piper's performance is stunning. She is, this is the best I've seen her in the show. Really, really great. Um, the Doctor is a, a a great companion to her in this story. Um, they just sort of flip that a little bit the way that I think a lot of these Doctor Who stories should do it. Yeah, like I, 
I, I enjoyed it a lot. There is a lot to love about this episode. There's some stuff that I'm not crash hot on and it doesn't it doesn't drag the whole episode down for me. Like I still walk away with a, a very positive impression of things. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it did certainly cause a an interesting conversation between us about maybe where this whole thing is going. Yeah, I think there are some prime examples here of the kinds of issues that I know that you're talking about, which we'll get into. But I think overall this episode succeeds as it does because you feel so much about what's happening. I know that that's like, basically what I'm saying is it's so emotionally successful that it papers over the cracks for me. Yeah. And that's not a, that that's certainly not a, a bad way to come at media. Um, I, you know, like we, we talked about last week where like the first time we watch it, we tend to like put our phones down and try to just get lost in the episode a bit. And this episode is perfect for that. Like it just sweeps you away on this incredibly beautiful journey, which is of course, it, you know, super bittersweet. It, it's got dark elements. It's, it really succeeds in a lot of ways that I, I like seeing Doctor Who succeed. It, it smacks of all the things that I personally need from the show for me to be engaged with it. Um, mm. It's, yeah, it, it's it's a tough one to to really delve into because when you come at it from a more critical lens, you know it, it can almost feel like you're you know attempting to discount the emotional impact that it has. And I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to do that because, like I said, like I had a good cry. Like I was, <laughs> I was into this episode. Um, it's just you know when you when when the credits roll and you sit down, and you really think about about Rose as a character. I think we start getting into some I don't know. So just just. Some interesting um, observations, let's say. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that in, in, in a little bit. Um, so absolutely. And one place that I really want to start our discussion with, James, um, indulge me, is the writing. What was your impressions of Paul Cornell's script here? Because I, I genuinely adore both this one, the writing in this episode and in Human Nature and Father's, uh, sorry, Human Nature and Family of Blood. Um, I think he's got such a wonderful command of voice and character that I think about in terms of like, outside of the podcast, I'm, I write plays, I'm a playwright. Um, and this seems to me as like something of a chamber piece in the setup of, the, of them all in the church. Um, and so I just wondered what your impressions were of his script predominantly very positive i i think that especially the stuff related as it relates to rose is the best that we've seen of her this season not not just as billy piper's performance but the script is specifically serving her emotional independence it's serving her with some great agency in in regards to the plot she's very much the driving force of this story i know that for a lot of folks uh the doctor is sort of their driving force for the story but I'm not sure we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think you and I both are sort of on the same page that the companion should really be the main character. Like the doctor can still, is still very much obviously the titular role in everything. Um, but what changes from these seasons to seasons and the journey that we're truly on for the most part is with the companion. And thanks to Cornell's script, I feel like this is the clearest and most concise Rose's journey has ever been because you, you said this to me before we started recording, this feels like the moment that Rose Tyler grows up. This is her trial by fire. And the fact that it can do it through the time travel conceit of the show is a really nice blending of um, its sci-fi elements and its, and its character drama. So yeah, I think what Paul's done here is really quite 
exceptional with an asterisk next to it that it does also come with the same issues of um the the rest of the season and there's also some stuff in there with jackie that i'm I'm really not a fan of like outright not a fan of I, i i don't really have any conceits for that um but for the most part it's a very good script maybe we should just touch on those uh sort of narrative shortcuts that the episode takes especially with regards to the Reapers, because I think it's pretty, it's part of the conversation around this episode is that the Reapers are the least successful element here. And I know that you have lots of thoughts on them. Um, (laughs) So I'll just say my piece to get that out of the way first. I am fundamentally more forgiving of the Reapers, even though I can clearly see the flaws inherent in them in that they, they're supposedly there to put time right, but by doing that, they are, ending all of time it it, the the mechanics around why they're there what their purpose is is like very ill-defined they do essentially function as just screeching monsters and we're at a point in the show where doctor who i guess isn't willing to step outside of that kind of established formula of the show that it's about the doctor it's about monsters it's about journeys through time uh having said that i do forgive I can't, saying the word forgive makes it seem like it is a, it's a massive flaw. And I guess it is a massive flaw, but I'm just going to keep going with it. Say, I do forgive the Reapers their presence only because they are, as I said previously, like a massive storytelling shortcut to get the characters in position they need to be to be able to have the emotional journey that they're having. I think they're a very clear, like, signpost of, of a function that would, that works better as opposed to say, something more amorphous like time running out or something a bit less defined that would require more explanation and introspection across the episode. Whereas this, the Reapers, bam, they're right there. You know exactly what they're there to do. So you can move out the way and have the conversations that need to be had to make this episode work as emotionally as it does. Counter rebuttal by James. (laughs) No, look, I I think those are all fair defenses of of what's going on here with the reapers yeah it's it's something we've talked about before but it's like the the episodes like this that do try to be as um sort of emotionally deep and resonant as they are are almost a victim of the 45 minute runtime like there's this new uh, sort of format, the, the more Americanized format the show has found itself in now. And so because of that, you don't have the amount, you just don't have the minutes to adequately set up both a monster of the week villain and do the emotional heavy lifting that this episode is doing. And don't get me wrong, I'm thrilled that, you know, it, it did take more of a hand wavy away approach to the villains so that you could focus so much on the emotional impact of Rose and her father, because it does that very successfully. And like I've always said, hand wave away whatever you need to do to get to the character driven moments. And so it's frustrating for me that in an episode that, you know, theoretically gives me exactly what I want and exactly under the, the guise of, of what I always forgive in the show. Um, is this annoying to me because the Reapers are just, it's, it's less that they're hand waved away and more that they're just shoved into the story. Like there, there is absolutely no, there isn't even really an attempt to sort of um, very quickly explain what's going on with them. You know, you said before there's that line where the doctor says, you know, they've come through to, to heal the wound. And there's a, there's a bit of dialogue about, Oh, the, um, the time Lords, my people used to 
fulfill that function in, in the universe. And now that they're gone, there's nothing to stop the Reapers from coming through. And it's like, okay, but that's fine. But then like, what are the mm. Reapers? Where, where do they come from? Um, they seem to just be like dinosaurs, like animals. Like what is their, how do they sort of understand time? Like what are they doing there? Why is it that healing the wound is just making everything disappear instead of just killing Pete? It just, there, there's hand-waving away and then there's nonsensical. And I think this is just slightly too far into the latter. And so it just ends up feeling like, a really annoying uh, sort of um, blemish on an otherwise fantastic episode. Yeah, and it's interesting you you bring up the line that I also brought up before about um, that the, when the doctor says that they're there to sterilize the wound. And maybe if that line hadn't been there, we wouldn't be so hung up on it because obviously that implies that they have a kind of a function where they're supposed to be healing time, but maybe they are just animals, as you put it. And the Time Lords would have prevented this kind of thing from happening. But because they're all gone, we are now seeing the, the wider of the Time War is that creatures can just come through and threaten time at any point. Um, but because the Doctor frames it in such a way that it looks like they are actually supposed to be healing time, they don't make a lot of sense. No, that's exactly it. And I mean, the, the concept of a sort of, um, you know, non self-aware or non non-conscious um race of monsters that exist in the void that feed off of like chaotic time breaking that's really cool i'm i'm, I'm very much into that and so I, you're right i think it might just be the use of the word healing and the fact that there is a sort of an intent prescribed to them as opposed to oh these things are they've always been like a, a natural um sort of occurrence when time goes wrong and part of our role as time lords was to make sure that you know the animals didn't escape from the zoo kind of thing that would have made a lot more sense to me than this kind of like ill-defined thing that we got and again they do fulfill a, a very clear plot function it's you know it's doctor who so of course i say of course hmm. You know, uh, at this point in Doctor Who's history, it is, it's too early for them to be as experimental as I would like. And so I, I do concede that there has to be these kind of uh, contrivances that are, they're escalating, you know, they have to make sure that the, the episode is, you know, sort of progressing along a very set structure that a lot of Doctor Who follows where, you know, you start with a mystery and you build up to a climax. I, I understand all of that. Um, it's just... It doesn't, for me, it doesn't excuse how sort of slapdash the whole thing feels. Yeah, the that's very valid criticism of the Reapers. They they are just monsters for the sake of monsters. The same way that last week we had the Jagrafess, which was just a big old pair of gnashing teeth. The one thing I will say, though, is that I do remember, like, as a kid watching this episode and seeing the Reapers and see, like, there's that very specific bit after the Doctor dies, is eaten by one of them, and, like, the sun kind of sets a little bit and it becomes a lot more darker and colder. And somebody says, this, this is the end. I remember as a kid being like profoundly disturbed by this vibe that everything was just being in a way. And I wonder if maybe the Reapers as a physical threat, as a something you can see and clearly react to is much more digestible for a child and makes that threat more uh, visceral than say people disappearing and just time kind of unraveling in a very amorphous kind of yeah no i i could definitely see that angle and it's something that we've talked about before specifically about this season as well it's that whole you know you do have to try to remember that this is more of a family orientated thing and so sometimes you do need the the scary monster to help 
uh, a possibly younger viewer understand the severity of what's going on. An interesting note there is though that you said that when you were a kid, you were disturbed by that woman saying, you know, this is it, this is the end and sort of the the darkening of, of the world and everything. And that's not specifically even about the Reapers. That's more of a, like you got that impression from the tone of the episode and the dialogue. And so I just wonder if tone and dialogue and, you know, of course, some other special effects, like you can still have people disappearing. You can still have the world kind of like, you know, phasing in and out. Like you can um, back to the future it or whatever, if you want. But I, I do wonder if maybe if, if they had trusted that that could have carried the episode, if we would have had a, a tighter experience. Yes, but also what I'm saying is that by having the Reapers there and seeing them beforehand, that made what was so disturbing to me later on, the scene of the sun setting and everything darkening, that much more disturbing. Yeah, look, that, that's entirely fair. Speaking of the idea of monsters in a more emotionally challenging and time-related story, something that I've been sort of chewing on for, um, since I, I watched Father's Day is how much it and Demons of the Punjab are very much sister episodes in a lot of ways. They're tackling a lot of the same um, sort of struggles with death and acceptance of, of the, uh, the inevitability of the whole thing. And I look at the way that Demons use the Monster of the Week to thematically... Um, enhance and and strengthen the the core sort of emotional questions of the episode and so I, I guess when I put it in contrast with Father's Day which the monsters don't thematically and really enhance anything other than to provide a sense of danger uh, it, it just makes me think about a, a version of, of this episode where a little bit more thought had been put into the monster of the week and how it could be used to um, enhance what's going on yeah that's a fair that's a fair point um, and I remember watching Demons of the Punjab and being just on first viewing, this is not my impression of it now, but on first viewing of that episode, being quite annoyed by the Thajarians, I think because they were yet another alien that was actually good in the end, um, which had been a running theme through that season. I now look at it and I'm like, that's a really cool theme to run with. And I, by contrast, this season has a running thread of gnashing monsters. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I guess both episodes fit, both episodes 100% fit with where they are placed in their respective season um, and make sense of where they are. Um, but it's a, yeah, that's a valid point. Yeah. It doesn't help to always compare things to other things. And especially with Doctor Who, you've got what, 15 years between those episodes. You've got multiple showrunners and politics and like the whole world has moved on. I'm not necessarily suggesting that, you know, Father's Day is, it should be held to those same sort of standards. It's just something that, because I do love so much of what else is going on in this episode, it, it makes those problems um, just, just a little bit more unavoidable for me, uh, I guess. Yeah. But we should probably move on from from the monster of the week. I mean, I'm I'm not even sure they gave it this much thought. So <laughs> let's just put that one in a box. <laughs> uh, sort of sort of move on with um, some other stuff that's going on with Father's Day because this is yeah. this is Rose's episode. It absolutely is, and as we said before, it's a brilliant performance from Billy Piper. Probably one of the one of the episodes from the season that made everyone stand up and go, "Oh, she can act." Because um, there was always that trepidation about you know putting a pop star into it a hit BBC show. This whole episode is basically set up on the premise that the doctor would take Rose to one of the most emotionally traumatizing episodes of her life and kind of expect her to not do anything about that. I find that set up incredibly interesting, um, but also 
I wonder what it says about both of those characters. So if you look at something like um, The End of the World, you know, you've got the Doctor very deliberately taking her to something that would be traumatic, right? And and we sort of talked about how that is almost, even subconsciously, his attempt to get her to understand time and, and death and the fragility of everything on his level. And so when you get to this episode and it's Rose requesting to be taken to a traumatic event, it does kind of flip that narrative a little bit. And I do wish that maybe there had been more of an exploration of, because, you know, she we begin the episode with Rose saying, you know, oh, this is the day my father died. I'm wondering if we could go there. And the doctor just kind of gleefully is like, I can do anything. You know, your yeah. wish is my command. And he has this kind of like goofy look on his face. And I just, I don't understand why there is no effort on his part to um, explain or to sort of adequately prepare Rose for the trauma that she's about to experience. I know that she's obviously requested it, but his role as both caretaker and the more sort of educated, enlightened, time-traveling being in the room, it's odd that there is just nothing from him about what could possibly go wrong. And then he's like surprised when it goes wrong. I agree. And I think for me, what that means is that the Doctor... I mean, at this point, I keep forgetting that the Doctor at this point is a very reckless kind of person. They haven't travelled with anyone in such a long time. They're still learning what it's like to be in the universe and be a part of it, have a relationship, being after being alone for so long. Um, And so I sort of see his gleefulness to take Rose to this moment as, I guess, kind of a assertion on her part that she's ready for this. And that's one thing I do actually like is that he he trusts her instincts enough to... to trust her to know what's good for her. Um, and he doesn't try and dissuade her out of that. He lets her come to the conclusions that she comes to on her own. And the other, as you point out, as the other, the flip side of that is um, the comparison with the end of the world and how that episode saw him take Rose to the death of her planet to understand the scope of time travel, but also where he was emotionally. And this as the same setup with Rose under coming to understand how the doctor would feels with the death of their family. He says in this episode, you know, my entire planet gone is gone. My whole family. And I think I also, yeah, that scene of them in Pete and Jackie's flat, uh, where they have their argument about where he, where the doctor accuses Rose of basically using him to come to this point. Like it was always her plan in her mind to come to this point to save her dad. Um, And this is also another episode that shows that the Doctor is still very much clouded by his emotions and he isn't capable of making objectiveness. Like he is still very much emotionally affected by the time war and the death of his own people. And in a lot of ways, what happens here is also his fault because he is traumatized enough by what happened during the time war that he wants, I, I guess I see it as him wanting to actually see how this would play out in a weird kind of sick way. Yeah, I, I could I could definitely vibe with that reading of it. Um, another interesting comparison to Demons of the Punjab, actually, is that in in that episode, you know, we've, we've reached a point with the Doctor where her role in things is to be the one to guide the companion through the idea of inevitability. And so her, her core function in that episode is to make Yaz not interfere, you know, to, to say, no, you just need to let this happen. And... We get a flip of that with the Doctor and Rose in this episode where he does everything in his power to let her interfere and to try to smooth over the cracks that happen when she does. And and it even goes so far to the point where he sacrifices his life 
to let this happen. Mm. I'm not entirely sure of the plot function of, of what he thought he was doing in that moment, because it's, it's one of those choices that if you think it through, like he makes a, a sort of a snap decision to try to protect Rose and then he dies for it. But that's not, but that's not a plot function. I mean, and that's also the core of why of this episode is that these are people reacting emotionally as opposed to logic. And the doctor's decision in that moment to, you know, tell the Reaper, I'm the oldest thing in the room, eat me, is based on pure instinct to save Rose. Even though he knows that by him not being there, it, he can't save Rose. It's the same thing with like Aliens of London, World War Three, when he was like, I could save the world, but lose you. But he would have also died in the impending explosion of the building they were in. It, he is always putting himself in harm's way to save Rose without realizing that by doing so, he's harming her as well. And I I like that. And again, this goes back to my overarching issue with this season because two episodes ago, he was going to sacrifice Rose for five extra minutes. And so mm. it's just, there is a an inconsistent emotional logic going on with their relationship. And, and I think we're going to get into it in a minute because it's, it's, it's definitely present in this episode as well. But um, I think there is an interesting point to be made about why the Doctor does the things that he does in this episode. I, I just wish that, uh, and again, it just ties into that Reaper's point of like, I, I just wish that I had a, a better understanding of of the plot that was actually happening while it's happening. Yeah, uh, that's fair. But yeah, by that same token, there really isn't a plot happening because everything that happens in this episode is brought about by emotional choices. And I know that we've said emotional so many times, uh, and that word is going <laughs> to get definitely overused in this podcast. Um, but the only way that I can really examine this episode is by thinking about everything in terms of very illogical. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I can I can go with that. Uh, speaking of illogical emotional decisions, mm-hmm. uh, can we maybe take a minute to talk about the framing of Rose's relationship to the Doctor? Definitely. Um, I'm interested to know what you what you mean when you say that i mean it's it's the way that it's coded is is starting to give me some pause um you know it's something that we've talked about in previous episodes it's this sort of consistent you know is he your boyfriend are you two together it's that constant allusion to a romantic connection between the two of them and even if they're not explicitly written that way which i I think they occasionally veer into that lane and i think when you look at where they're taking rose and the doctor um in next season i am very willing to believe that these were intentional coded moments um it's it's annoying when that characterization slams right up against Father's Day, which, uh, uh, other than a few throwaway lines of dialogue, very explicitly codes him as a father figure to her. And so, again, it, it just speaks to that point of Rose is simultaneously girlfriend and daughter, independent and dependent, and it's... It's just, it's getting very muddled. Yeah, I was kind of reacting against that for a long time, but I do, I do agree. Um, there is a desire to frame them as a romantic prospect, um, which will definitely play out. In, but here, I mean, it's all because of the the hand, right? It's all about the mirroring of Pete's hand on Rose's face with the doctor's hand on Rose's face. And for one week, the doctor can be seen as a father figure, but that doesn't, that goes a, a that doesn't excuse the muddy muddying of that mess. 
Well, yeah, it just doesn't flow from even last week's episode where we had a whole bunch of conversations about, you know, oh, I'll take a better man to get between the two of you and holding hands and I only take the best. And it's just, it, it is very obviously doing a will they, won't they thing. It's that very classic heteronormative story framing. And, and I don't hold it against the show for uh, wanting to explore that element because I do think that the the concept of romance between an immortal time traveler and a human is is sweet and that there's, there's good stuff to be had there. Um, it's just that if you're going to do that, do that. Explore what that actually means. Uh, write your characters around that explicit intent as opposed to what they end up doing with Father's Day where – you know, you get that really great scene where he's like sort of looking at baby Rose and he has that really cute moment like, you're not going to bring about the end of the world, <laughs> are you, Rose? You know, it's, it's really lovely and everything. And it's odd that even in a scene where he is coddling the child version of her, um, you almost do get a really fantastic, just purely platonic good friendship moment between the two of them where she apologizes for for making the choices that she's made he apologizes for doubting her and yelling at her and they have this really good equal moment where they do feel like companions and, and friends it's just it's like you said then you get other moments where he puts his hand on her face in exactly the same way that Pete had just put his hand on her face when he realized that she was his daughter and and like you said about he makes the illogical decision to protect her in the way that a father would protect a daughter so it just starts getting really really messy and and it's it's annoying for me to watch this happen because I'd always considered Rose to be sort of the, I mean, like, obviously I, I, it's, it's well established. I love Clara the most, but like Rose is the, the apex of companions. You know, she is the perfect companion. And I'm, I'm sort of realizing as we go on that the idea of the perfect companion, quote unquote, that I have in my mind from my memory of her is very different to the perfect companion they had in mind when they were writing her in the sense that she is just there to fulfill whatever function the story needs her to fulfill. And maybe the concept of a perfect companion is flawed because that means that that character has to behave in very erratic kind of ways. Yeah, I think it's a symptom of different writers and different directors making decisions on the floor at the moment in the planning of the episode that go against what has previously been established. And that's something that the showrunner of the show should be watching out for and ironing, make sure that it all fits together uh, as it's supposed to, which I guess doesn't happen here. I do want to talk just a little bit about Rose because I think, as we've said previously, this is probably her best episode, um, especially to date, but maybe of all time, um, because she is very much the main character. She is 100% at the top of the pile. Everything that happens here is about her and about her reaction to things. Yeah, I, I do agree. Um, she she is really quite great here. And I even put in my show notes, I'm sure you saw this, but like it's it's end of the world Rose, it's Dalek Rose, and it's this Rose are kind of a good continuation of Rose's story. And the episodes in between are the most egregious examples of the things we were just talking about with her. But when it does work and when it all kind of locks into place and there is a consistent characterization of, you know, a young woman who is very headstrong, who is very independent, but also has not dealt with her own trauma from her childhood and reverts to a 
not childlike uh, manner, but sort of definitely a less emotionally mature version of herself when presented with um, an issue as, as big as what she's facing in this episode. There is a, a great consistency there, and and Billy Piper's performance definitely elevates all of it. Um, mm. But it is a really exceptional Rose episode. I like that she's allowed to make a mistake. I like that she's allowed to double down on that mistake when confronted about it. In the, in the same way that a lot of people do when you're confronted with one of your fuck-ups, an automatic reaction is to be like, well, no, and sort of put your hands on your hips and, and kind of say, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right. Mm. And I, I like that that does lead to a very natural confrontation with the doctor where she says, you know, why do you get to decide who lives and who dies or, you know, who you get to save throughout history? Mm. And he just has that kind of snipey, oh, because I know what I'm doing. And you're like, well, that's not satisfying to Rose and it's not satisfying to us. And so you're emotionally aligned with her for the entire episode. It, it just, it works really well. It is. And it's a hundred percent for my money down to the, the writing and the Puffley Piper. Um, one thing I do want to point out, and I really want to look at this scene, it is definitely like one of my top five favorite scenes of Doctor Who ever. And it's the scene where Pete and Rose have just pulled up to the church and Jackie comes out and she goes, oh, wonderful. The accident waiting to happen. And you can see, because there's been hints through the entire episode up to that point that maybe Pete isn't the idealized version of her father. That, but then this scene all, it confirms that for her, Pete and Jackie argument where it comes to light that Pete maybe like cheated on Jackie probably more than once and that there are all these problems in their relationship and it is just really depressingly mundane and real and raw and Billy Piper in that scene is just phenomenal because you can see on her face like her little heart is breaking I'm even crying thinking about it she just completely shatters in that moment when she sees everything that she's been led to believe up to that point a lie um, it's sort of like the whole, you know, don't look behind the curtain kind of thing, because what you'll see yeah. will be not what you imagined it. And then she has that wonderful line where she's just like, stop it. You're not like this. You know, you love each other. And you can see her just like trying to grasp onto the, keep a hold of the fantasy, keep it alive. But it is, you know, it, it's gone now. Exactly. And at least that great moment later on when she's talking to her dad and he's like, you know, how am I as a father? And she spins again. She tries to sort of revert back to that lie that she has in her head about, you know, like, yes, obviously she's trying to protect him from the truth that he's, mm. he's dead in the future, but it stems from that same place of a romanticized idea of her father, which she got from her mother. And, you know, he just says that that's not me, you know? And, and so, oh. sorry, no, it, it, that's just so heartbreaking, isn't it? To have a character hear all these wonderful things about them and realize that that's not who they are. Like, what does that say about Pete and how he, thinks of himself it's such good writing it is and and pete is a really interesting one because uh sean dingwell performs him just perfectly like um i know you've gotten the show notes here that apparently simon Pegg was originally meant to perform this role mm. and I'm, I'm so thrilled that he didn't because uh what what dingwell does dingwell rather does with this performance is like it's iconic we have to stand it's a moment <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lady Gaga's album just came out, so we're like full into like, ooh, Stan, go hunty kind of mode. <laughs> we absolutely are. It's weird that we gave Carly Rae Jepsen a shout out last week, but not Lady Gaga this week. I don't want you to think that that's an indication of any sort of quality here, folks, because Chromatica is fantastic. Stream Chromatica. I want to go to Chromatica. Don't we all? Anyway, Dingwall uh, as Pete Tyler is is a really great performance, and and Pete is a 
I'm very conflicted on on Pete, and a lot of that does come down to his relationship with Jackie as well, because we do we get that really fantastic you know disillusionment. The veil is lifted with Rose when she realizes that her father is not not the good guy that she thought he was, but it's not even just that he's not the sort of legendary figure that she thought he was. He is almost actively presented as as a really bad partner to Jackie. And like you said, with the the potential multiple cheating situations, with the failed businesses, with the, the trash at home, there's implications that he's not as helpful as he could be with Rose. And I think that him being self-aware enough by the end of the episode to realize that he's a bit of a piece of shit and to sort of course correct that as his final act is a really beautiful arc that he gets to go on. Mm. Um, it's just unfortunate that because, I mean, it, it's called Father's Day, obviously the, the focus is going to be on Pete, but Jackie then gets kind of left in the dust a little bit where she gets to play this kind of caricature of a unsatisfied wife and we're not given the time or the depth to emotionally resonate with, you know, perhaps why that's important and why she chooses to frame him as a legendary figure to her daughter later on in life. Because, you know, Jackie doesn't seem to mince words. She's she's always been quite clear and concise with Rose from what we've seen to the point of um, not cruelty, but to like almost insensitivity to Rose's actual emotional reality. Mm. And so I, I wonder about the journey that she took to get to framing Pete the way that she did. And we just don't get to explore any of that in in this episode because it's it's too busy kind of taking crack shots at Jackie and and I just uh, I find that very sad. I don't think it generally matters because we do as you say Pete gets his he was redeemed by the end of the episode. Jackie will have her redeeming later on and you get an illustration of what their life is like that I hear that I don't particularly feel like I need to see it as such or have it explained to me. Like I can fill in those blanks for myself. Uh, for why Jackie, ha- why their relationship is broken down to the point that it has by this episode. But what you say about how Jackie is presented is very, very valid. And I guess at this point, the show is still relying on a- a cliches of, you know, screaming mothers um, to depict Jackie as opposed to a much more nuanced uh, portrayal of her, which it comes across a little bit in you know, the end of World War Three, which will come out later in the series. Um, but yeah, she is kind of a, a bit of a casualty in this episode where she just side-eyes Pete all the time, makes takes crack shots at him. And, you know, I think the word emasculating is way too charged, but that is the only kind of word I can grasp for at this moment. And then the, the worst part of it is that, you know, by the very, very episode end, just before Pete's about to, you know, sacrifice himself, he just says, oh, Jackie, can't you see? It's Rose. And she's like, oh my God. It's Rose. (laughs) And it's just like a massive leap. At least they laid out how Pete could come to the conclusion that he does, the correct conclusion that, you know, Rose is his daughter through the clues that it drops in the episode. But for Jackie, it's presented as very much just like a momentary instinctual thing. Uh, Yeah, she is a casualty of the set. Yeah. And you get that line earlier where Rose is like, oh, you know, where I come from, Jackie can't even set the time on the video recorder. And Pete's like, oh, but I showed her last week kind of thing. Like it's that it simultaneously takes these pot shots at her intelligence and at her sort of portrayal as, and and this again goes back to when Rose came back in the beginning of Aliens of London. And we don't get time to really explore Jackie's pain at her daughter on for 12 months because we just have to kind of brush her aside as the, again, the, the trope 
trope of the the sort of screaming woman. Mm. And so to see that again here where she is simultaneously the butt of the joke for being sort of not intelligent enough to piece together what's going on. She's the butt of the joke for the doctor finally getting to put her in her place. But then by the end of the episode, she has to come to this amazing realization that only an intelligent person could come to. And it, it's just wildly inconsistent and, yeah. and deeply frustrating. But we also, we I've just now thought of it. We also get those two fantastic book ending scenes of Jackie telling like child Rose all about her father, um, a really nice device. And you see how the time has shifted when they replay it at the end and the story has changed. It's now a much kinder, softer ending for Pete, you know, as opposed to the hit and run, he was alone when he died kind of original version of it. Um, so we do get that version of Jackie. Um, it's just a shame that when it, she sort of has to fulfill certain functions, for scenes that she's in the same way that with Rose, I suppose with the criticism we would level at the characterization of Rose, uh, as you know, serving functions at different, depending on what she needs to do your know, scenes. Um, Jackie is also the same. I don't want to get too hung up yeah. on this because Jackie is a very small part of this episode and it really is about the Dr. Rose and Pete. Um, but obviously at the same time, you know, Jackie is a, a continuing character. She is, this isn't the last time we're going to see her. Um, so no, it, it's, I, I agree. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to focus on it too much. I know that we already have focused on it a fair bit. Uh, it, it's just because it is, like I said at the start of this episode, it's it's an unfortunate side effect of an ongoing issue with this season um, that when you write everything else as well as you do in Father's Day, it puts on display the problems that have been maybe sort of sliding by underneath some other more ham-fisted writing where you can hand wave it away. But when you prove to the audience that you can take these characters as seriously as you're taking them here and you still indulge in these kind of like really questionable um tropey choices mm. it, it just yeah it, it's an unfortunate byproduct of a really good episode um and and yeah one other thing that uh stuck out to me on re-watching this episode is something i hadn't considered before and i don't think we give this episode enough credit for it is that it doesn't rely when it's having Pete come to the conclusion that Rose is his daughter later on in the botched way in which (laughs) Jackie comes to that same conclusion. This episode doesn't rely on a scene of Rose going, I'm your daughter. You have to believe me. And scenes of Pete disbelieving it. He, at the same time as Rose is allowed to make her choices and go through this journey of rediscovering a father and contextualizing the reality of who he is and meeting him, Pete also is allowed space to come to his own realizations about who he is and who he is to Rose, who he could be and should have been as well, and who he could have been and should have been to Jackie as well. Um, and it, I like that this episode doesn't actually need a, a scene of Rose trying to convince them of who she is. Like it, it, it just very fluidly, calmly, realistically happened. Yeah. And that's a good example of that hand waving away working really well. You know, like like you said, because you do sort of just brush over um, what what maybe could have been a really unfortunate five minute conversation or whatever or scene, uh, you do get to have those really great moments. And Pete's Pete's redemption arc, even internally, I, I think that there is something quite poignant about the way that um, Dingwall plays a man who is coming to terms with the fact that he is sort of, and I, I don't want to use too much letter language here, but he's sort of failed on most levels as a man in his life. And so he's coming to the end now and he gets that really great line where he says to Rose, you know, we've had these couple of hours, who else gets to have that? Mm. And 
And that's very true. And that goes back to your point of this being a really great time travel episode. It's time travel used to serve a fantastic character emotional beat where, you know, a, a man who otherwise died not as as he wanted to to live gets those final hours you know to say goodbye to the things that he's losing of course but to also come to terms with and deal with his failings and it's it's really good <laughs> yeah it's really good and the other scene that gets sort of sidelined because of the the much more emotionally charged scene of Pete asking Rose if he's a good dad and the is the scene they're in like the cloister they're in like a back room of the church and Pete's like oh you know he's joking around he's like oh have I do I look old and Rose says nothing and he's like oh have I gone gray and she still mm. says nothing and he just kind of like you can see it it clicks right there and then he knows but he he just swallows it and he moves on to another point because like I can't <laughs> like uh, imagine what you're telling what your silence is telling me right now. Oh, it's just such a good episode. It is. It is very well written, very well performed. Um, a, a small side note, I, I had my head down. And then when you said cloister, my head snapped up because I was like, Hellbent? <laughs> you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> cloister is the wrong word. And it, I, ugh, you shouldn't think of Hellbent when you think of cloister. There's, the whole, there's a cloister room in the TARDIS. But that's beside the point. Moving it's on. beside the point. I will get to Hellbent when we get to Hellbent. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. And yeah. on the on the flip side of, of Pete's journey as a, as a man here, we also get the Doctor's journey as sort of more coming to terms with the more human aspects of himself. He gets that really mm. great moment with the the couple that's getting married inside the church because they're there for a wedding. It's it, whatever. The plot's the plot. Yeah, um, I left that bit out before because I was like, I don't know, this is too much filler, whatever. Exactly. Um, but he gets a really great moment with them where, you know, they, he sort of says, you know, how did you two meet and how did this come about? And they say, you know, we know we're not important, but can you try and save us? And it's perfect doctor reaction where he's like of course you're important like everybody is important your normal life is important and it's just a really in an episode that is quite introspective and quite dark you do get this little like bundle of light just in the in the middle there which i don't know like i it resonated really deep with me because it's just nice to see this doctor sort of start to emerge in christopher eccleson's performance uh, yeah, you do get a kind of oscillation between war-torn, like, battle survivor and somebody who is learning how to be in the unit before. And this scene is mm. a perfect example of that. Um, with his kind of reveling in the mundane aspects of how they met. And you get that line before where he's like, the the groom says something like, oh, you know, I took her home 2am in the morning. And the doctor says, and what? You asked her on a date. And it's such a blunt, he puts it so bluntly, but like it it comes across as brusque at first. And then you realize that he's actually like, he's, he's reveling in how ordinary their lives is. And then he has the moment of realization where he's like, I've never had a life like that. You couldn't have a life like that. Um, It is a very nice scene. The other thing that is very, very good about this episode is like this, the general direction and the music as well, I felt was... Uh, super strong in this episode. Um, there's a couple of images in this scene, in this episode that really stick in my brain, and I imagine for kids watching as well would have been something that they would internalize and character- carry with them for a while. There's the like the Doctor opening up the TARDIS and it's empty bit, mm. which is such a fantastic image, and also just the the image of the two versions of the Doctor and Rose in the same space. Of I was shocked by that on rewatching it because it felt like such a Moffaty kind of thing. Uh, before that was even a thing. Um, 
it's re- it's really nice direction, and you also see Joe Hearn's like uh, predilection for close ups of which he had used to such great effect in Dalek being used to the same effect but with a different outcome here with focusing on mm. all of the characters' faces. I I don't want to dwell on it too much, but um, there's also in the writing um, just some really nice work going on in how both Pete and the Doctor are constructed of stories and of legends and. In both instances in this episode, we kind of see the reality underneath that story um, where the Doctor portrays his usually cool or grim exterior as being very emotionally charged uh, and where Pete is also revealed to be not the hero that Rose had made him out to be. Um, just pointing it out because I like it. <laughs> Look, that, that's totally fair. Um, again, it just this episode is, is very um, focused on drawing parallels between her father and, and the doctor. Mm. Um, and then yeah. it all, and then it all crescendos in that fantastic, another one of my favorite scenes of the Pete running in front of the car. You've got the music in the background and it's like tinkling and building and like, just like, uh, there's a kind of thrum and energy to it. That is so fantastic. The reapers disappear, whatever. And Rose, oh, and then the line, you know, go to him quick. And then Rose is running to her dad. It's, Oh, it's just like perfect. It is. And it's interesting because just before you mentioned about like, there's a lot of imagery in this episode that really stuck with you. And I had a, like, I didn't remember this from when I was a kid, but uh, watching it now, I had a, like my breath caught in my chest when Rose is watching her dad die. And then because time gets set, right. The doctor just appears behind her. Mm. Like, he just steps into frame. He's got this like cool, calm exterior on almost as if he kind of trusted that Pete would eventually get to that, position and so him magically materializing back into reality is it's not the focus of the moment and and it just works so beautifully and then he gets that great line of you know go to him and rose gets to correct the mistake that she made at the beginning of the episode of what she originally came there to do was to just be with him Mm. Mm. uh, you couldn't see me obviously but i was like grinning and like shaking my arms because i also had that same reaction to seeing the doctor appear um behind her and also when she stands up after Pete's passed away and, and the doctor's just sort of staring at her from across the way. And she just yeah. walks to him. It, you In that moment as well, with the very ending shot of them walking away towards the TARDIS, you suddenly get this immediate sensation that they are two travellers out of time. And they have walked yes. into this story and now they are walking out of it. It's just, oh, such a good sci-fi story, such a good Doctor Who story. Mm. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Father's Day. It's good. And I think that pretty much draw- brings us to a natural conclusion of this episode. So, James, what is your what are your final impressions and what's your rating of this episode? I had a preconception of what I was going to rate this and then sort of talking about it and thinking about it a bit over the past 24 hours. Uh, I'm, I'm ultimately going to land on an A-. And my heart is breaking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it an A. An A. I mean, you can't do much better than an A minus and an A. So, yeah. Yeah, look, look, that, that's it. This is still an exceptional episode. Uh, this is, you know, probably the best that we've seen of, the, of this season so far. And I have a vague memory of what's coming up next with the two-parter that we're about to do. Um, but I do genuinely hope that this at least signifies a the beginning of a more consistent, mature characterization for Rose. Yeah. I, yeah. I think next episode puts her again in a very different position than she was this um as is the nature of doctor who it's almost like a story it's a story of the week format the world kind of resets at the end of every episode so obviously we're going to have some seas 
Um, but yes, I am also interested to revisit Rose. Yeah. And so next week we are doing, what are they called? The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, the very first Stephen Moffat script. Is it really? Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I, I have a complicated relationship with Moffat, so I am, I'm very intrigued to see what his first outing is like. I think the whole Doctor Who community uh, has a complicated relationship with Stephen Moffat. Uh, they they certainly do seem to, but we will we can maybe tackle that a little bit next week when we have some of his work in front of us. Uh, so yeah, next week will be another one of our two episodes in one episode kind of little specials. So we're very excited to to dive into that one. Uh, so yeah, that brings us to the end of our discussion. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy listening to us, leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Two Hearts Pod, and that is two the number two. Or if you have longer thoughts and you maybe want to send us some questions or feedback or whatever it is, you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com, and that is two the word two. <laughs> we got to get that right. And I have been CJ and you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at CJ McLean underscore. And I've been James. You can find me on Twitter at OMG more James. And until next week. Bye. See ya. Stream Chromatica. (laughs) 